KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. There's a lot of things we're seemingly divided on these days, but it seems like one of the things lately that's been able to unite pretty much a vast majority of us, it's some good old-fashioned weed. Yeah, I do feel like, you know, we are all so tense, so on edge these days. Maybe what the world needs is a little bit of cannabis to just calm us all down. Just a, li- just a little bit of it. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And this is the John Cash. You might be wondering, where's that third voice? Brian Seltzer, he will be joining us a little bit later on when we bring in KWW's South Jersey reporter Mike Doherty to talk all things marijuana in the Garden State, fittingly, of New Jersey where voters made it clear on the night of the 2020 election that recreational marijuana needed to be legal for adults in New Jersey. And now there just seems to be this backlog, this holdup. Something is stopping it from getting moving. Got to make this happen. We have been waiting. A lot of businesses have been waiting. There's a lot of money that could be coming into the state. So uh, Mike is going to catch us up on what exactly is happening over there in New Jersey. It's all about the money. It's all about equity when it comes to these sort of things in New Jersey, especially when it comes to marijuana. After all these years of it being fraught with issues for people and communities of color that have been prosecuted because of weed. Now, all of a sudden, it's legal and we've got all sorts of backups. So we'll be talking about that more as we go through today's episode. Plus, speaking of equity, go to the city of Philadelphia where Officials are working to improve fair housing, and they want more input from city residents about this as well. That's right. Philadelphia's Division of Housing and Community Development are going to be conducting a survey. Now, they did this back in 2016, so this is kind of a follow-up, seeing how things progressed, what we still need to learn. Results are going to be used to set policy and budget decisions, so they really want to hear from the people. Now, the program manager, Portia Egan, explained a little bit of what they're looking to find out. Feelings about their neighborhood they feel safe? Are they connected to their community? Are they working with others to do things in their community? So as we know, this can be vastly different in different parts of the city. If you want to contribute, kywnewsradio.com, the link is up there. And I would say, please do. You know, we need to hear from everybody on this. Housing is such a major, major deal in a city like Philadelphia. We even saw it when it came down to the fire that occurred in Fairmount last month and, the, and people talking about the importance of fair housing adequate housing for people. There's so many issues here in city Philadelphia. So yeah, if you want to make your voice heard here in Philadelphia about housing, fair housing, definitely jump on that. There's an effect of this pandemic that I also never thought about. Vocational students can't get their certifications if they aren't there in person. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, these are students who are studying a lot of hands-on stuff, right? So they have graduated But they don't necessarily have their certifications. Luckily, now Philadelphia schools are giving them that chance to go back, meet with teachers, and get that certification. Warren Crosby is a senior at Ben Franklin High School. He talked about kind of what he was able to learn remotely. We learned a lot about measurements. We learned quality control. We also learned time management. So it's a lot of, you know, theoretical book stuff. But his teacher, Ronald Sizer, said they really need that hands-on experience. Precision machining is about being on the machine, running machines, cutting materials. Yeah, those those vocational classes are no joke. That's something you can't play around with. That's something that I hadn't even taken into account when you think about 
learning. I was I, I taught for the first part of this pandemic and teaching remotely over Zoom is one thing. If you're teaching a journalism class where you can put up notes and put up videos, it's a whole different ball of wax when you got to get in there with your hands, whether it's machine, whether you're a machinist or you're a carpenter or like culinary, culinary you need to be in a physical kitchen. Yeah. And you can and there's only so much you can do over a Zoom screen or over a FaceTime to be able to make that work. Yeah, that was something that hadn't popped into my my head. Yeah. And also and now we've got 850 members of the class of 2021 who just graduated who are being offered this opportunity to finally get certified. So it's the skilled trades. When people talk about going to college, I hear this often refrained as when people want to go to college, it's like not college isn't for everyone. They need to talk more about yeah. skilled trades. Well, this is where a lot of that work comes in. And there are a lot of very talented, very intelligent people who are doing this work. Well, in Delaware County, a senior living community has also had to make adjustments, of course, because of the pandemic. And they've taken an interesting approach to things. Table 17, your order has arrived. Please pick it up from tier one. Enjoy your meal. Yes, those are robots you hear being asked mm-hmm. to serve meals at the Wesley Enhanced Living Mainline in media. That is something new. I mean, they talk about how in grocery stores you can do the self-checkout and things are replaced by robots. Now, apparently in cafeterias, a robot can let you know, come grab your grub, basically. Listen, it's been happening already in like China and Japan. I know that they have restaurants where they have robot servers. So we're finally, we're catching up on the technology here. John McDevitt was uh, out there checking out these robots, talking to them. They're called maitre d's. And yeah, they're meant to address the staffing shortage mainly, but it's also a benefit because you've got fewer people touching the trays and that's, you know, more sanitary. And the residents seem to like them. They seem to be having fun with them. I call them Robbie. Robbie Robbie the robots. When we come to the dining room and see them, it's just always a lot of fun. It's fun. It's a great diversion. That's Martha Roth. Uh, I also find it very, it just seems like they're cute. You know, they can be programmed to sing happy birthday. They're planning on holding a naming contest. They're going to be just like, like the staff, you know, like res- residents of this community. They're similar because I've seen some of these robots in grocery stores, like going through the aisles, either like helping to clean up or kind of like directing people to go which way up and down the aisles. It's a part of the change in technology. It, it's it's really I mean, it is kind of interesting where she says there it's like I call them Robbie where they become <laughs> like friends to, yeah. to these people who are in these senior living facilities. And I'm sure this it's not going to stop there. I know. I do hope that this doesn't like take jobs away from servers at restaurants in the future. But right now we are facing a staffing shortage. So you got to do what you got to do. And it seems like it is taking a lot of weight off of the staff at this facility who were overworked. And you can hear more of John McDevitt's story, by the way, on the Odyssey app, or of course, on our website, kwnewsradio.com. He's got some video of those those robots, too, that are Pretty good to watch. It's it's really cool. John always finds a way to get some of the best stories. It's some of the really just cool, quirky stories about life out there. So go check that out on our website. Coming up, we've got to get to the conversation about the rollout, naturally, of recreational <laughs> marijuana in the state of New Jersey and why it's been slow, just so slow to get going. That's coming up on the JohnCast. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. And this is the John cast. And almost a year and a half ago, the state of New Jersey voters approved the use of recreational marijuana for adults by a pretty wide margin. Two thirds of the voters. Now, mind you, over four million people voted. Two thirds of them voted in favor of recreational weed in the Garden State. And cannabis sales were supposed to start this month. But it looks like that 
It's probably not going to happen. So we're joined today for the first time on the John Cast by KYW South Jersey reporter Mike Doherty here to fill us in on what's going on in the weed business out there in New Jersey. Mike, so uh, what's happening? Well, Jay, nice to be with you, bud. Uh, this was supposed to be the month that regulators set as to when marijuana sales were supposed to begin. That is obviously not going to happen this month. Um, the dis- dispensary licenses are just being accepted starting in March. So the Cannabis Regulatory Commission has all but punted on this and hasn't really been responsive to any of the things we've wanted to find out. So it's kind of up in the air as to when this will actually happen. Uh, even the people on the inside, the businesses, you know, have no clue what to expect. This is something that New Jersey had been fighting for, for it had been well documented for years. This is something that they had wanted. And now it sounds like we have a kind of a domino effect in play in a lot of ways. Can you explain for people who may not get this, how this delay is kind of impacting the whole pipeline, basically, that's been going from growth to distribution to sales, revenue, like there's a whole industry behind this. It's not just simply just grow up wheat and sell it. Right. And as you might expect, you know, weed doesn't just grow in a couple of days. Like you have to plan for this. It takes months to from start to finish, from seed to cultivation. So it takes quite a bit of time. All of these companies that have been approved already to set up shop in Jersey, you know, they assumed that the state was going to abide by a self-imposed deadline. Like it's not like the weed industry was like, hey, be done by February or else. Like, no, the state said February. So they're like, okay. We'll plan for February and started hiring people and getting their buildings in order and getting their products lined up and on the shelves and ready to go for a launch that is not going to happen. I spoke with Joe Byron from Cureleaf. We've invested in the state. We've ramped up our capacity. We built out capacity in preparation for adult use. We've hired hundreds of people in New Jersey getting ready for the adult use program. We've opened up two new stores in New Jersey to help meet the demand. And, and we have plenty of products sitting on our shelves. Unfortunately, we're, we're in a position where we're now thinking about reducing our investment in the state instead of ramping up our investment in the state. It's hard to say exactly how much they have right now that's on, you know, on the brink of going bad. But the longer this drags out, the, the larger that stock gets. Now, other states around the country have managed to get this right. What's the delay in New Jersey And I guess, what was the initial timeline supposed to be? Well, Jay, you say get it right. And that's been one of the key things that the governor has hammered home over and over and over and over again. And he keeps saying, you know, the the, the focus of this in New Jersey is going to be based in social equity and racial justice, and that getting it right is the most important thing. And he uh, wants New Jersey to be the best in the country, the beacon, the program that everybody is jealous over. But at some point, you have to finish the book report. Arizona did this in three months. There's a big difference between three months and 15, 16 months. There's got to be some sort of middle ground. And then the governor has said, you know, getting it right is more important than getting it done quickly. Well, getting it done quickly is a long time ago. That's like that ship has long sailed away. Getting it right now has to include part of the, the people, the companies that are doing it. And it seems as though they've just kind of been cut out of the process. Here's Joe Byron again. I wouldn't say we're completely flabbergasted because we have, you know, we've had ongoing discussions. I think it's just a lack of clarity 
and, and I hate to say sense of urgency um, to get the program up and running. And I think we've extended the opportunity to help consult on the framework for a robust industry timing of, you know, how we could phase in different aspects of bringing the industry online. And, you know, we're, we're, we are puzzled why we're not getting the responses back from the regulators that we would have thought would have been a natural part of the dialogue about bringing this program online. He said the state's just not even answering them, like no, not even responsive to the, the suggestions that they have. That's part of his frustration was he said, we offer these ideas, we offer suggestions, we want to keep the dialogue open, and they just kind of are closed off and are working behind closed doors. Mike, is there any sense or reason why the state doesn't seem to be communicating with businesses? I honestly don't know. You know, I think a lot of people politically, once Governor Murphy was elected, thought weed in Jersey was going to happen like real quickly. And there's been holdups, legislative holdups within in Trenton, where you know, there was dis- disagreements over how the program should be rolled out. There's disagreements over all kinds of different things. And it's just dragging on and it's having an actual cost. I mean, we're talking $100 million or more in just the last year in lost tax revenue. So, you know, you can talk until you're blue in the face about having, you know, to ensure that black and brown communities are going to be benefiting from this. But what if we we're putting at least a good chunk of the money from tax revenue into those places. We're talking a hundred million dollars here. I mean, that's actual money, not coming into the state's coffers. So we haven't really had a chance to talk with anybody from the cannabis regulatory commission, apart from one initial interview when the, the chairwoman was appointed. And after that conversation, the initial conversation, I, I came away thinking, man, this is going to be a while. They don't seem to have any urgency to them at all about getting this going. And here we are. That was that was over a year ago. You know, they talk about part of what's slowing it down is trying to make it fair to black and brown communities. But I have to imagine this delay is hurting black and brown communities in some ways, too. These businesses and people who have had to sell under, you know, black market under the radar before thinking we can finally do this legally. But now there's this delay. Like what what are they doing at the moment? Do you think that that is I feel like it's probably hurting more than helping right now. It can't be helping. I mean, you you would want that illicit market to come out of the shadows, right? As a state with a regulatory commission involved, and you you have all these standards of quality and production and safety and all all these different things, you would want that market to come out of the shadows into into the light and operate like any other regular business would be. I can't see any winners in this delay. I mean, there's just... Who's winning? Is it the people that aren't selling? No. Is it the state for not getting money? No. Is it the voter, the general consumer who can't get what they want from a store legally? No. Who's winning? It's a lose, lose, lose situation here. Have you heard from any of the opponents, the people who didn't want we legalized? I haven't had any sort of, you know, like man on the street kind of talks with people who don't want it. We do know, even from going back to the last governor's race, that Republican Jack Cittarelli was saying, you know, more than half of the towns in the state don't want dispensaries or cultivation or processing facilities in their towns. And that's their prerogative. That's part of what makes this such a good plan, in my opinion, is that the towns that don't want in don't have to be in. Leave it to the places that want it. And anybody who wants to go buy some weed can hop in the car and go take a quick drive. It's not like this is some sort of expansive vast state where you'll never be able to find a town 
that's within a reasonable distance, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities. I haven't really found too many opponents who are hard and fast against it. There are some towns that don't want the businesses there, but there doesn't seem to be some sort of like widespread opinion of like weeds bad and nobody should be doing it. I'm not finding those people. Mike, this might have just been coincidence that it caught my eye over the weekend while I was driving back into Pennsylvania from New Jersey because I knew we were going to be talking about this this week. But I saw a billboard that advertised where people could go to a governmental website to have their records expunged of some marijuana charges. So I'm just wondering if we take a step back and look at the big picture, just how much is cannabis marijuana part of Phil Murphy's whole platform. Can you put that into context for us? Are those two things, a billboard like that, expunging a record, and the possible legalization of adult recreational marijuana use, are these related? Coincidence? Are they connected? So that's an important distinction. There were two bills that were passed. It wasn't just recreational marijuana adult use being approved. It was not only adult use, but also decriminalization. So there were two components to this. The decriminalization thing has taken hold right away. Hundreds of thousands of people have had marijuana convictions removed from their records already. That started early last year. That was something that they did show the urgency about. They did really make sure to get it done quickly. I mean, it wasn't long after the election that that expungement and decriminalization stuff was completed. Now the the legalization and the marketplace and the sales is being, I don't know, like held hostage for whatever reason. With all this... Is there any chance this collapses, that after all this work, all nah. the money, the votes, everything, nah. this is this is going to happen in New Jersey? It will happen. It's going to happen this year. From what I've heard, you know, I, I, there's a, a, a person, a, a lawyer who's pretty well plugged into the scene and kind of knows what's going on. He, he thinks it's going to happen this year. He's pretty confident it'll happen this year, maybe before summer. It's hard to say exactly when. We can't get really many answers from the CRC, as I mentioned, and Neither can the people in the industry, but they did say that they'd make sort of themselves more available as we get closer to that March date of dispensary applications coming in. Not to go off too far on a tangent, but I also was reading something about how New Jersey has not really approved many, if any, Black-owned businesses for, for operation yet. So putting their money where their mouth is isn't really happening, and maybe that's part of the holdup here. I'm not really sure. It, to kind of read between the lines, you have a government agency saying, this is our main goal. And the opposite of that is happening. So they probably we would have, you know, a whole dozen eggs on their face, if they rolled this thing out, and it was all none of them were black owned businesses. So I think that's part that, that might be part of it. I'm not sure what's going on with the application process, who's been approved, and who hasn't. But if that little blurb that I read has any truth to it with minimal black involvement at this point, that could be a reason for some of the delays that they're not getting the people in it that they want in it. Mike, New Jersey is a lot bigger state than people realize. There's a lot of ground to cover, especially in South Jersey. What else are you keeping an eye on? Well, right now you might, you might know that the governor got rid of the mask mandate effective next month. He's leaving it up to districts and uh, individual school districts. So we're reaching out to some of the districts to find out what their plan might be because, you know, Camden and Mount Laurel and Cherry Hill are pretty big districts down here in South Jersey. So we're trying to find out, but this is sort of a political hot potato that nobody wants to touch right now. They kind of want to wait and see and hold some hearings before they make any decisions. And the, the mask debate has been 
a rather raucous one in other states. So I imagine it'll be similar here. It definitely will be. That's Mike Doherty, yeah. South Jersey reporter, KYW News Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Doherty. The Mike spelled M-I-C, like rock the mic. Mike Doherty on Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, Mike, and coming on the John Cast with us. Anytime, Jay, anytime. And I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And that's the John Cast for today, February 8th, 2022. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>